Well, each one of us, we call ourselves believers, right? We believe something. It's one thing to believe in God. As many, many people do, they believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. It's an, an understanding that we look at all the beauty around us and people say, there must be a God. Because it's so amazing, something has to describe this so people believe in God. But it's another thing to believe God and what he says. And actually, I would say that it's not easy for people who call themselves to believers. Because to believe God is to trust him in every situation, in small things that happen, in large things that happen. But we live as Christians, we live in a, in a world of distractibility. We live in an area that it's hard sometimes to keep our focus on the Lord all the time. Because if do you ever get distracted? Do you ever get off track? And you think, yeah, I'm paying. Well, yeah, this last week um, I was going to a, a minister's confer conference in Yakima. And, and uh, it was Monday. And Monday's my most tired day. But anyway, I must have been very distracted. Not only in my driving that day, but also in my focus on the Lord. So I was going down a back street and it was one block away from the church that we were going to meet in. And I noticed as I approached the stop sign that I had probably taken up too much space. And, I, and there was a car coming, turning to the right, and I needed to move over to let him in. And I had traveled down this back road and I had not seen anybody up till this time behind me. So when I stopped at that stop sign, I did not look behind me because I made an assumption, which you're never to do, right? So I quickly put it in reverse and didn't double check my mirror and I backed right into a car. That does not seem like a God moment to me. And I'll tell you the truth. My wife and I did not feel that that was a God moment at that time. It was like, again, so I felt like a, an idiot. So I pulled into the church parking lot and I, I let this lady come in and park and we, I talked and, and um, so I got in my car and I went over to her and um, I asked her if she's okay. And she said, she said, well, I'm, I'm just very, um, I'm just very upset. And I said, oh, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. She said, no, it's not about the accident. So what? She goes, well, my sister She's, she's dying, and I'm on my way to go see her. I don't know how she's going to do. Does that seem like a God moment? It still didn't seem like a God moment to me. So um, I said, can I pray with you, right? That's what we do. So she got out of the car, and I prayed for her, for God to comfort her. We looked at the damage, and she said, oh, it doesn't look very much. And so um, I gave her my number and left it at that. So Pam and I are going, oh, good, off the hook. <laughs> no, friends. The God moment still keeps going. She called up a couple days later, and I thought I'd saw some damage on her grill, and there was definitely some damage in my bumper, more than I realized. You can go uh, view it right now in the parking lot if you choose. <laughs> and anyways, I, uh, she called me up. She says, there is some damage to my car. I'm so sorry. Um, so I gave her insurance. Uh, information and again I go oh there's some money I don't have so you know you have to pay the deductible and all that and she again said I just think Satan is just trying to discourage us 
And this was a divine moment. And I will tell you, friends, I did not feel that was a divine moment at all. But God bless her for feeling it. Sometimes to see God in everything we do is very difficult, if we're honest. We call ourselves believers, we raise our hands, we pray, we sing, and we think, God is in everything, and then life happens, right? Think about your natural response, for those who are parents, when your children are frustrating, frustrating to you. Your natural response would be, will I, and fill in, help me fill in the blanks. If you're frustrated with your children and you, you don't know what to do, will I, what would be your natural response when you're frustrated with your children? Will I do, uh, what is it? Some of your kids are here and they'll tell on you. Anybody want to fill in the blank? Will he ever grow up? Anything else? Will they ever move up and grow out? And Okay. Will they get a job? What about children? Now, your parents are here. It's a safe place. What is your natural response, young people, when you're frustrated with your parents? They don't understand. Wait, I'm okay. I totally get no. I, anyone else? When you're frustrated with your parents, what do you naturally do? They're not a teenager anymore. Will they ever stop? Oh, this could get deep really quick here. We could be in a lot of trouble. What about when your prayers aren't answered? Your natural response. My prayers aren't being answered. Do I what? When your prayers aren't being answered the way you think God should answer them, do I? Do I continue praying? Do I do it on my own? Anything else? Does God even care about me? Does he see me? Know what's going on? What if you're frustrated with life? Things just, you're just life. I just, but would you be your response if you backed into a car? When I'm frustrated, I just, be honest. But what'd you do? Huh? Yes. There was not God's will. They were to be there. Yeah. Or when the bills pay up, uh, pile up and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, your natural response would be what? Are you kidding? Another bill? What else? When the finances aren't happening, your natural response is? Just give me a break. Another. That's kind of how we felt. One more thing. If you're distracted, if you're bored, if things are not going as planned, if I blow it, I naturally. You beat something up, maybe yourself, hopefully. Yeah. Here's the thing about all of this to believe. In all of the things that happen, whether we see them as large or small, in every part of our life, is to believe that God is in the middle of that somehow. Is he in that? There are some things that just seem impossible. I believe 
in my life and perhaps in yours, there's sometimes there are things in my life that seem impossible and I just tolerate them. I just have to accept it. It just has to stay this way. We've been praying and you've been giving me names of people to pray for that we want to see God work in their life. And part of the, the thinking behind that is that I believe that there's some power to pray together. And so I'm going to be asking you to act, give me names and we will share their names and we will pray for people we would call non-Christians and, and we will believe that God will bring them to faith. But sometimes I wonder if we tolerate things that God does not even want in my life. We cannot see it because it seems impossible for that person to admit they need Christ, for me to have clarity about my personal life. And we tolerate them, and because they seem so beyond us, we cannot see it, we allow them to be there. Last week we introduced this a verse of, that Jesus told us. When you find things that seem insurmountable and you have a hard time seeing it, he said this, I tell you the truth, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible. Matthew uh, 20. It was, uh, we're surrounded by mountains. You all know there's seismic activity happening all the time around us. Reassuring, right? We have some active volcanoes. I think we have about a fourth of the uh, active volcanoes in the lower 48 here. So when we look at the mountains, they look pretty steady. And, and in the Jewish culture, when they would say a mountain, they would... A mountain was a symbol of something that seems insurmountable that would not move. There was no possibility that could change. And Jesus is saying, not literally, I believe, mountains, although that may be. He was saying, what seems insurmountable that will never change? That's an obstacle. That just seems impossible. Nothing's impossible with me. Jesus is saying, I believe, the immovable. Got some things that are immovable in your life? that you would love to see God change may seem improbable, but with God, they're not impossible. Today's story, I'm we're going to have read and have uh, Sam read that in just a minute. Come on up here, Sam. Um, it's, it seems a little bit unbelievable. In fact, this is one of the most unbelievable stories in the Bible, but it happens to be also one of my favorite stories from Scripture. It's unbelievable. But before we begin, I would like us to pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, open our eyes to believe. To believe what seems the impossible. Help us as we hear this scripture. To hear not just this story, but what you're saying to us. Lord, open our eyes to believe. Would you repeat that with me? Lord, open my eyes. To believe. Amen. Well, the background to this story, I know you like standing up here getting attention. <laughs> the background to this story is Israel's king is not following God. It's fact the story of Israel's kings so many times. To go and be a godly king in Israel would to be pushed against the flow because the whole culture always pushed against to bring back idolatry. That believing in God, the one God, which was hard for them to push against. Isn't that that way sometimes with us? And so God rose up a prophet named Elisha. He had a, 
He was a follower of Elijah, confusing for some of us that are new to the Bible. But Elisha was a man of faith that God rose up in countercultural, against the status quo, that there is a God and he can do amazing and incredible things, even though the king of Israel was not believing him. So God would often raise up enemies to get their attention. In this case, it's the king of Aram. So now, Sam, would you please read it? You can come up here if you'd like there and read the story about um, Elisha and the incredible vision that he had. So this is from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. And it says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Thank you. That's a funny story in some ways. I mean, when you think about it, one of the interesting images that is continually repeats through that is the idea of sight and blindness. Did you catch that? First of all, it seems like Elisha is totally blind to these armies that are surrounding him. And, and his, his, uh, his servant says, hey, don't you see this, so to speak? And then God, he, he tells, uh, Elisha tells his servant, hey, you need to see a, a larger view. There's more of us than them. And then, there, then there's this blindness of the army, and then their eyes are open. It's interesting. It seems like, you know, Elisha has... A heat-seeking satellite, and he can speak. You know, find the, the he he can find that wherever the uh, the the Armenians are are plotting. Wouldn't we all love to have that? Find the enemy there, and somehow figure out where he is, and 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 
strategically go tell the king of Israel that, hey, this is what's going on. I've got the latest up-to-minute intel on these bad people, and so we'll give you the story on what's going on. Elisha sees things that the servant did not. When I think about this story, I put myself in the place of the servant. And Elisha is the man of God trying to direct me to something larger in my life. Of course, this angers King Aram and he sends in these troops. The first thing we notice is overwhelming opposition. Overwhelming opposition. All the chariots of the Armenians are around us and we are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed opposition. And you can imagine why the servant becomes afraid, giving up himself to fear and saying, oh, my master, look what's going on. There's so many chariots. We're toast. We, there's no way we're going to escape this. It seems impossible. There's no way that this can happen. Overwhelming opposition. Next, we notice there is a battle with some unseen powers going on. First, Elisha doesn't see that there's real battle going on, supposedly. But then the man, the servant, is allowed to see. He tells him, don't be afraid. There's more of us than with him. And then he prays powerful prayer number one. Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a great prayer for us? When things are overwhelming, open his eyes and let him see. And then lastly, I'm going to call it unexpected compassion. You notice that Elijah prays a second bold prayer. When the armies are against him, he says, Lord, blind them so they cannot see. Wouldn't every king trying to defeat another army wish he could do the same? The natural response would be, Lord, blind them. Take out my enemies, and then I will go kill them. But see, Elisha does, even though he's a prophet that emerges from Israel, he's not just on Israel's side. If you study Elisha, he healed a servant of Aram's king of Aram, called Naaman, just a few chapters before. So he was not just a prophet to Israel. He was to proclaim God in every situation. He was not against the enemies. He was wanting to declare God through Israel or however God would want to display himself. Blind them. God blinds them. To lead them. And then he takes this army right in the middle of where the king of Israel is. And now they are surrounded by their enemies. And he prays a third powerful prayer. Oh, Lord, open their eyes and let them see. Wouldn't you have liked to see the expressions on those armies as they are led not into defeat Elisha and take him captive, but they are now captive to the king of Israel. And like any king, here's my enemy. Here's my opposition, my chance. Should I kill them? He says it twice. Should I kill them? Isn't that the way of the world? 
We want to kill the opposition. We want to destroy them. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have opposition, but our job is not to kill them. <laughs> right? Let them see. I wonder if this is how God works. This is a great illustration, I believe, of compassion. That in front of his enemies, he says, don't kill them. Give them something to eat. And then I reflected on a scripture that many of you have memorized, Psalm 23. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I thought, I never saw it that way before. That God has given us enough provision for even our enemies so we can share at the same table with our enemies. He, he gives some compassion. He goes back, and then the funny thing at the end, they, they leave them alone. What does this say to us about believing and believing in the things that are impossible? First, you and I might be unaware of opposition. There are spiritual forces that are at, at work in this world that we do not see. Opposition happens. Sometimes it's embodied in a person. Sometimes it's just like uncanny. You may or may not believe in supernatural forces, but I do. I believe that there's a real Satan. And I believe there's real spiritual forces that are happening. Regardless of how you see it, we know that there are people that embody evil. Have you ever met someone that creeps you out? Have you ever met someone and you felt like you needed to take a bath afterwards? I have a couple times in my life. I said, something is not good there. I don't know what that is. There are people who have given themselves over to evil. And I was like, oh. The Apostle Paul says this, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those, those who refuse to obey God. There is an opposition against us. When am I more likely to capitulate to the forces of opposition? Let my defenses down. I'm tired. I'm distracted. I'm not paying attention to God in this moment. Yes, God wants to be in every moment, not just the huge moments of our life, but the minute, daily, even tedious times of my life and your life. We're to be alert to them, but we don't have to, we do not have to be afraid of them. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in Ephesians six twelve, we are fighting not against flesh and blood enemies. The evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against the mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. <clears throat> we are not against people. It's not people we're against. Does that? You might see people that do things that you do not love. People that seem on the opposite fence of what you believe. But we're not against them. It's spiritual forces that might be driving them. Sometimes I, I hear Christians that just want to, you know, I just want to put those heathen pagans in their place. I'm going to nail them. I'm going to give them an airtight argument why they need to believe in God, and I'll put them in their place. Is that our role? Will that have so, help someone to come to know Christ? Our role is not to fight against people. Our goal is to show them the compassion of Jesus, as, just as Elisha did, and have God work on their lives. There's something happens powerfully when you pray and i would encourage you not to 
diminish the power of the prayers that you put. Not because you're a powerful prayer. Not because you're such a good prayer, but be, you serve a powerful God. I love this quote from a, a, a Christian pastor named Samuel Chadwick. He says this, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. If, if he could keep you from praying, he's doing a good job. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Circumstances happen then we think we are powerless. We are surrounded by things that might seem to oppose who we are. But that is the opportunity for your faith to grow. That when circumstances happen in your life, and you don't think this is a faith thing, it's an opportunity to faith to be enacted. As small as a thing as backing into a lady in a parking lot, that later on I repented to my wife of my attitude and I said, God is in control of our life. He is our heavenly father. And who is it for me to say that God isn't going to work through this? That's when God can shine best. When we take those circumstances, those things that seem immovable and give them to God in prayer. You might think, well, He's a great prophet. That's why he can do those things. Well, it's interesting. Elijah, who was before Elisha, was discouraged just much like we were. We are. One time he was running from an evil queen named Jezebel, and he went off and hid himself under a plant. And he said, Lord, curse, I'm going to die. Nobody believes in you. There's no more believers. There's no believers in God anymore. And God resoundingly kind of scolded him and said, I have 10,000 people who have not turned to the idols. Sometimes we think in our culture, nobody believes in God anymore. Look at what's happening. We throw up our arms and we get frustrated. A recent Barna uh, survey said three out of four, three out of five school teachers claim to be born again Christians in our country. Maybe we have hidden missionaries all over this country. So don't throw up your arms and think it's all going to hell in a basket. God is still working. Notice that this first prayer that he prays is a prayer of encouragement. Lord, let, their, let him see. Let him see what's going on. The second thing is that we notice is that we daily face unseen possibilities. Not only is there unseen enemies there, or opposition, there's unseen possibilities. Every moment is a moment for God to work. This is the hardest thing for people who call themselves believers. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. But to believe God in that situation is a chance for our faith to increase. See, we do see a bigger picture. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 talks about this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. My danger, my problem, is I like to be in control of everything in my life. How about you? Right? And when things aren't happening the way I want, I try to sometimes force them. Guilty. I just, I'm going to... Will myself through this. And those who are around me back off and go, this is not healthy. 
God is not glorified when I do that. I have to believe that God is in control and I have to relinquish that and I do not have to force something. If it's not happening, then either God has to do something in me or he has to do something through me and I'm going to wait and I'm going to seek what he's going to do. Psalm 33, David says this, 33:22. let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. The Lord already surrounds us. You might feel like you're surrounded by circumstances that you cannot control, but the Lord surrounds, he surrounds the circumstances. It's like the chariots surround us, but behind the chariots of, of the enemy are the chariots of God. He's working. I wonder if our everyday situations that God is trying just to get my attention. When I need direction, when I need correction, when I'm in trouble. I think prayer itself is the answer to seeing God do bold things in our life. We are to pray or think prayerfully that every thought that you give to God, I've been trying to practice this once a week, that I will forecast my following week and I prayerfully go through my week. Lord, be there in that moment, be there in that moment. And then I'll go backwards and say, Lord, sorry, I didn't really recognize you there. I'm to think prayerfully. And I'm also to act prayerfully. Because the opposite of acting prayerfully is to try to do it in my own strength. But to act prayerfully is like, I'm going to move into this space believing God is going to be there. Elisha's second prayer is a prayer of opportunity. Lord, blind them. I wonder how many people are blind because of the circumstances in their life. They're overwhelmed, burdened down. I'm talking about people perhaps who do not know God. And they have allowed the sin of their own life to blind them to God. And far be it for me to shame them. I'm there perhaps to Lord to do the second prayer is, Lord, open their eyes so they too can see. Before I go to my last point, I'd like to just have a brief prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you're the light of the world. You cause those who are blinded spiritually to see. As we continue to finish this great scripture, open our eyes to see greater things for us because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. The last point is we are called to show unexpected acts of compassion. The, our enemy armies did not expect to be fed and sent back home. The natural way of armies is to be killed and destroyed. Instead, God, through Elisha, said, open their eyes. Let them see that they have failed, that they cannot stand against God. You expose their sin. You expose their weakness. You show them where they're wrong. And when you do, and they're that vulnerable moment, then I will trust that you work. There's a, an old word that's used mostly by Catholic priests and Catholic churches that I would like to reinstate. And it's the idea of parish. You know what parish means? If you talk to a priest, they, they say, what's your parish? And they mean their city. Because there was a time when the only church in town was one church. And your parish was your city. So if you said, I'm from, you know, uh, I don't know, Itasca, Illinois. My parish is Itasca, Illinois. 
It wasn't the building in which you resided. Parish was the location where you were to influence people for Jesus. Parish is your location. What I'd like to encourage you, both for our church and you personally, it's to think wherever your location is, that's your parish. That God has called you to show forth acts of compassion in that place. That's your calling. Some of you are not called like Amy to go to Russia. But wherever you are, that's your calling. That's your parish. God asked you to be salt and light, so to speak, there, to show the love of Christ where you're at. It doesn't mean you're preaching at them and telling about Jesus, but you are the one in that office or in that place of work that brings light. You're the one that shows the love of Christ. And when they're in the crisis or when they need, when they're, they feel like they're overwhelmed, they're going to go to you and ask you to pray with them. Your school, your work, your neighborhood is the place that God can use you. I believe that God can do far more than we ever ask or imagine. Right now, you know people that are far from God, that do not acknowledge God, that do not know God. And you might have thought it was impossible for them to understand him. I would say, let's believe largely for our city, for your, your people that you know, and let's pray boldly that God would bring them to acknowledge that there is a God who loves them and has a great purpose for them if they will follow it. How do we do that? Let me give you just a couple of things to think about. First of all, saturate yourself in what God says, not what this world says or what you're saying. Let God and his word just sink into your mind. And the Bible talks about that. Thinking about and knowing the word of God causes us to believe. Belief is found when we embrace what God says and, and we say amen to it. Second, to pray in faith for the impossible to happen. As you, after you saturate yourself in, in God and what he's about, which is so different than the culture that's so oriented to only what they can taste, see, and handle, then you're able to pray bold prayers like Elisha did and say, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to believe that you're going to do abundantly beyond whatever I ask or think. And the last one is to act on it, to act in faith. And you walk out of your door every day that the Lord is going with you, equipping you, giving you everything you need by faith. that You can de declare what might seem invisible. You can declare that it is. The immovable, the immovable may seem improbable, improbable, but with God, it's not impossible. What's the immovable thing in your heart? Is it our, is it our country? Is it our culture? Is it your neighborhood? Is it people who don't need, know they need God, but you want to see God work in their life? What seems improbable? Let's believe together for God to do that. In a few moments, some of you might want to come forward in prayer. Either you're going to be praying for someone, to, for God to do something that seems totally impossible, and you're going to agree together with people up here that will pray for you. Or maybe you're going through a situation that you, um, it, life does seem a little too large, and you don't know which way forward. We're going to believe that God will show you that there is a way through that. And maybe you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel. This last week, I've been praying this. I've been praying, God, give me opportunities. My friend Ken and I were at a coffee shop. And I, we met a, a gal that I had known years ago. Her name's Mimi. And, and, um, and I just, right away, because I had been praying, God, give me opportunities. I just asked her, how's your faith? Where are you going to church? You know, what's going on? And she was very open to it. 
Maybe some of you are there, too. If that seems impossible, that God could use you that way. Whatever it is that seems impossible, we're going to believe together as we pray that God will do that. So if you would, would you stand with me as we pray? The worship team gets ready. Those of you who I've asked to come and pray with people, would you come forward? But let's have a prayer right now. And we sing a couple of songs about impossible, but God, but through God it is possible. Let's pray together. Father God, as we enter into a time of prayer, as we enter a time where we're going to believe the impossible, not because it's something we will, because it's what you will. You don't. You do not want anyone to perish. You don't want anyone to not know you and have a relationship, a vibrant relationship with you. I pray you open the eyes of the blind who have been blinded to see that there's a God who loves them, who cares for them, and has a purpose for them. I pray, Lord, you open our eyes, Lord, when we can't see a way through with the relationship issues, the financial issues, Lord, the health issues. That we believe you, God, to do the amazing thing in and through us. Today, Lord God, we're coming forward. We're going to pray in agreement that you can bring your healing power into every situation. You can heal our emotional financial issues. You can heal our relationships. <coughs> you can bring healing and restore people who are far from God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's sing this together. Any of you that feel you want to pray in agreement with someone about anything, you want prayer for whatever, these people have been praying before the service. We'd like you to come forward and pray in agreement with them.